Well, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. To those of you who are present with us here and to those who are home or other places, do wish you a Merry Christmas. And like Justin said, I want to back, back him up, uh, make sure that your true love gets those three French hens for you uh, before three o'clock, because if they look plump, you may want to cook them tonight. In the spring of 1968, for those of us who were born then, there was a rock and roll band called The Happening. And they cut several records. And uh, one of their songs started this way. <clears throat> Every year about this time, this old foolish heart of mine beats a little faster when I see that leaves have turned green again every year about this time. Yes, it is a spring song. And it's a time when things come back to life. Not necessarily a song for today, except that on this Sunday, every year, we hear the same reading of the gospel, the so-called, the prologue of St. John's gospel. Much work has been done in this gospel. Why? Because it simply don't fit. It is not like Mark, not like Matthew, not like Luke. It's just totally different. So much work has been done in two particular areas. One, authorship. Who is this guy, John, whose manuscripts appear a hundred years after our Lord's resurrection? Was it John, the beloved disciple, the one who at supper time and the Last Supper sat at the bosom of our Lord? Or was it John, the brother of James, son of Zebedee, with a temper that our Lord called both of them sons of thunder? Makes you wonder, were these two the same person? To this day, no two theologians agree of who the author was, but they've spent a lot of time doing that. They've also spent a lot of time, when was it written? Like I mentioned, manuscripts with the name John appeared in the year about 100. So sometime in that period of time, these manuscripts were written. So why? To me, it's more important to put in context what we just read than anything else. What was happening to the Christian population at that time, especially in Asia Minor, as this particular writer apparently, apparently again, wrote from Ephesus? What's going on that such a, a different manuscript, a different way of showing God is needed? What was the aim for this work? Well, I want to share with you Two things. One, Christianity had gone headfirst into the Gentile world. You remember Paul's defense of his ministry, that Jesus called him to bring the Gentiles into Christianity, into the way, as it was called. And because of that, now the Gentiles are coming in. They're going around doing an end run on the Hebraic Jewish way of coming to Jesus. You had to become a Jew 
before you got to Jesus. You had to be circumcised, you had to offer sacrifice, you had to be baptized, and then you could go and look at Jesus. The Gentiles did not have to do that. So the majority of the members now come from a Hellenistic world speaking Greek, not Aramaic, definitely not Hebrew. So now what happens is Christianity, its tenets, its terms and categories need to be restarted and restated. A new expression has to be found. A new beginning has to be given to the story of Jesus. A new normal has to be introduced, very much like a new normal has been introduced to us. I have never looked at a congregation with masks on. I've never seen members of the congregation seated so far apart. And just recently we received word from the bishop that changes are coming again. A new normal for us. And so it is now for the Hellenistic Christians. John has to tackle two things in particular. One is the understanding that the Greeks had two conceptions. One, logos, word. And attached to that word is also reason. The Greeks believe in the all-powerful word of God. In Genesis, God said, fiat lux, let there be light. And through his word, action took place and there was light. And you can read that on your own and you see God's word, the power of that word acting. There's also reason. The Greeks were very, very good at looking at the world and they saw a magnificent and dependable order. The night followed the day, planets had their courses, seasons repeated themselves, nature had her ways, and many of them were unvarying laws. What could produce this order? The Logos, the mind of God. That is what produced all that. God is responsible for the majestic order of the world. Man gets the power to think, the power to reason, and the power to know from God. The Logos, the mind of God, dwelling within a person, makes that person a thinking, rational being. So John poses in his manuscript that the mind of God had come to earth in the person of Jesus. Look at him, John says, and you will see what the mind and thought of God are like. Jesus is the reality of God come to earth. He has injected himself into our reality. Fallen, finite, and fouled up as our reality may be, God makes it now perfect. The real light, the real bread, the real vine, the real love. Jesus does not live in a world of shadows and imperfections, but in him and through him we see the reality of God. 
And this word, this, this mind, this reality comes into the world as an innocent, vulnerable baby. He had to do that to know what it was that he needed to save. The world, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is God's word, the Logos. And no line can be drawn between what Jesus says and what he does. On a personal note, <clears throat> excuse me, when we came to the United States as Cuban refugees in 1960, we left everything behind, whether we wanted to or not. What we did not want to leave behind, the government took. And we came to the United States with one piece of luggage and five American dollars to start a new life, to have a new beginning. And I remember my dad was trying to make things light, but there was always a teaching in it. And I remember one day he gathered my brother and I and said, one, there are two things you need to remember in the United States. One, learn how to open a cereal box and you will never go hungry. And the other one, no one, no one can take your word away. There's no line between what Jesus says <clears throat> and what he does. And he says that through his words and his works, his life and death, his glorious resurrection, we gain access to him. This is a new beginning, a new beginning that the Gospel of John brings us. God's covenant and commitment to us will bring us life, light, and salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.